Welcome, everyone, back to BAMS Radio here on this Friday evening, uh, January the 12th, 2018. And it's a joyous occasion as Alabama has now uh, established themselves as the greatest dynasty in college football history. Five national championships in nine seasons under the incomparable Nick Saban as Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs realize that it is Nick Saban one, Kirby Smart zero in their matchup uh, as uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide comes back from a 13 to nothing halftime deficit. And we have seen a new era come upon us at quarterback. Uh, you know, as you, as you know, uh, we've been uh, outspoken here at the times on BAMS radio about Tua Tungvaluwa having a role on the team and playing. But uh, I think he did a little bit more than that even uh, during this national championship game, playing the entire second half and now writing his own, uh, you know, uh, legacy, uh, bringing Alabama back. Has not started a game yet in his career, uh, but already, uh, you know, going to have a moment that is arguably the biggest in Crimson Tide history considering – what he was able to do in the second half, filling for three touchdowns, including the game winner from 41 yards out, the dagger to Devonta Smith to win the national championship. And to break it all down, as always, with my two compatriots, Thomas Watts, my co-host and producer, the wizard behind the curtain with me tonight, and uh, 1992 national champion William Redfish Barger is with us tonight as well. Welcome back, gentlemen. William, uh, welcome. Uh, what an unforgettable evening. Uh, if the... Uh, it looked like all was lost at halftime, and then Nick Saban made a very, very gutsy move that we all thought probably should have happened earlier in the season. But, wow, uh, what, a, what a job by Tua Tungvaluwa. Yeah, and, you know, to me, you know, Drew, I had a, don't get me wrong, uh, Tua deserves all the praise that he's getting and probably then some. But, you know, I don't think enough is being said. Um, you know, on that last play of the game, when you look out there and, you know, you've got three true freshman wide receivers on the field, um, you know, Najee Harris at running back, a, a true freshman quarterback, um, you know, we're getting into some real uncharted waters, um, you know, here with this 2017 recruiting class. Any, anybody that still wants to debate me, um, about whether or not that the, that the 2008 class is the gold standard with Alabama recruiting just just needs to just quit while they're ahead. Well, that's um, a great point. This is this, this look. I mean, this really when you look at you know depending on um, how the offensive line shakes up, you know you're looking at the possibility of Alabama entering the, the game against Louisville in September with the possibility of eight former five-star recruits being in the starting lineup against Louisville. I mean, that's that's just insane. It really is. Um, you know, and, and, it, and, and, you know, um, for, for, you know, all that Tua did, you know, I thought the three freshman wide receivers, you know, toted their load. You know, certainly Alex Leatherwood coming off the bench uh, cold. In Amazing. Of an injured Jonah Williams. Man, that, that guy. Uh, was money, um, you know, Najee Harris. You William, know, I wanted to ask off. you about that before you you, you talk, you finish your thought yeah. because I wanted to ask you about Leatherwood because I think that his performance, it was almost as significant as Najee Harris, I mean, excuse me, as uh, Tua Tungvaluwa's. When you think about Jonah Williams playing all year and not really hardly missing a snap, 
and then having to play in the national championship game nearly the entire second half against Georgia. I think you have to, I guess, put two at number one, but I would think Leatherwood would be a very, very close 1B. Well, you know, Drew, we, we started having this conversation, and I, you know, I got to give you credit and, and, and Ryan Fowler credit. You know, y'all were on the, the Tua train a lot longer, or excuse me, a lot sooner than I was. But, you know, if you'll remember, we started having this conversation, and it's almost a, a microcosm of, of what you saw in the second half against uh, uh, Georgia Monday night. The same thing played out against Tennessee. Um, on the third Saturday of October. You know, Tua comes in, throws that, you know, god-awful pick six against uh, Tennessee. But what happened after that was was where what was so amazing. And, you know, he was doing it with Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, Jedrick Wills at right tackle. Um, of course, the, the, the freshman wide receivers were involved in that game as well. But, yeah, man, I mean, and th- this is why – I was so disgruntled and, and pissed off that, you know, aside from the fact that it cost, you know, Anthony Jennings uh, being able to play against uh, Georgia, and, and God almighty damn, you know, old age, I, you know, I turned 47 in November, and I guess old age makes uh, sissies out of us all, man. That, that deal where they wheel Anthony Jennings up Monday night in the celebration in his wheelchair – and, you know, everybody's hugging him and, and, you know, showing him some love. I mean, I ain't going to lie to you. I tuned up like a 16-year-old girl watching that. Um, and I just think there's, you know, so much chemistry and, and positive vibes about the program right now. You know, if you look at the nucleus of what's coming back on both sides of the ball, um, and, and I heard – I don't know if you and Thomas heard this today, uh, but I heard an interview – and I don't know if it was live or recorded. It could have been after the game, for all I know. But, you know, one of the biggest uh, Big Ten apologists and, you know, somebody that I kind of feels like, I feel like goes out of their way to be hypercritical of Alabama, uh, good old Joey Galloway. I heard an interview that he did today on ESPN Radio, and he was talking about um, – I want to say he said he played wide receiver in the NFL for 10 years. I don't know if if I heard that right or wrong. It could be right. But he said, you know, I can't count the number of times, and he's talking about the last play that that Tua executed. And he said, I can't tell you the number of times with – and he didn't – he said, I'm not going to name the number of NFL quarterbacks that I had this conversation with. But he said, I learned this over, you know, my long tenure in the NFL – he said, I would tell these quarterbacks, look, in, in a cover two situation, if you've just got the patience to look a safety off the other way, he said that play that Tua executed to perfection is there for the taking every Sunday in the NFL. And he goes, I got to be honest, the, the true freshman from Alabama executed it better than I ever saw an NFL quarterback do it on Sunday. And, you know, for somebody that's, you know, a Big Ten homer and, and goes out of his way to – and I don't expect – look, I don't expect David Pollock and you know, all these guys um, are going to be true to their schools. Um, I, you know, I think for the most part the guy that does it the best day in and day out on an annual basis of, of remaining, you know, kind of unbiased, not a homer, is Kirk Herbstreit. 
Um, but man, I, you know, I thought that was something, you know, that because I, you know, I never played, uh, you know, wide receiver or, or, or defensive back. So that's an area of the game that I'm not as, um, you know, in touch with, like, like with the big people. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, going back to your original thought, Drew, I mean, what Leatherwood came in and did, cause let's be honest. And I don't know if, if Jonah was nicked up prior to actually having to exit the game. Um, Monday night because he was struggling with those edge rushers coming off the, the left side against Georgia. He was. And, uh, you know, Leatherwood came in. You know, he's a much bigger man, um, you know, than Jonah. And, uh, man, he did a great job. Unbelievable. He did. And uh, and you're right. Joey Galloway did play 10 years. Matter of fact, I think his last college game was the loss to Alabama in the 94 Citrus Bowl. Uh, right. with Jay Barker and Sherman Williams and uh, he so uh, and 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 I heard Kirk Herbstreit you mentioned him William he was quoted as saying that and this when you take this into context it boggles your mind after what he saw Monday night but he said Alabama is about to take it to the next level and when you think about that uh, and uh, they went in five out of nine but it, it's all about the quarterback and I think they everyone thinks that Tua Tungavaloa you know, uh, basically uh, can can do that. He can be transcendent. I know Trent Dilfer uh, was on Ryan Fowler's show this week and said that Tua would win the Heisman uh, and said that he was just a transcendent talent. And I thought Brian Dable's quote was hilarious. Uh, and from the yeah, context, <laughs> you know, he said, you know, some every quarterback can hit the house. You know, some quarterbacks can hit a door. Some quarterbacks uh, can hit, you know, a knob. Tua can hit the keyhole. And you yep. know that, and I and, and the thing was, the thing that was amazing is William. You know, I mean, he don't, he hadn't played much in two months. He went into the game cold at halftime. He had a three and out. He had a bad interception. I was I kind of cringed. I thought Coach Saban might switch, you know, back to Jalen Hurts. But you know, I saw when I saw Tua put his arm around him and Coach Saban, you know, wasn't cursing him out. I figured, you know, okay, there there he's he's telling him, I got it, Coach. I got it. And once he threw the touchdown pass. To rugs and got that rhythm in that one drive he seemed to be good the rest of the game and uh he i mean i'm not gonna lie i'll just say this on the podcast i've said it to many other people i think i even said it on my radio show but uh, you know when he when he threw the fourth down touchdown to calvin ridley and some have said he was trying to throw it to Najee. i i like the way that ridley kept coming across the formation and coming back to his quarterback i thought too it was throwing to a spot and hit ridley but regardless it was a touchdown on fourth down because I thought they were going to kick the field goal, try to get the stop, and then maybe drive and, and win it with a touchdown. When he threw that touchdown pass on fourth down, I'm not going to lie, I, I started balling. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this you know, this 18-year-old kid just threw a touchdown on fourth down in the biggest game of his life. And I could tell Georgia, the looks on those kids' faces were like, oh, they've caught us, we're in big trouble. And then, you know, the defense went out and got a great stop, and then uh, they drove down and – and then, uh, unfortunately, Papanasas has been very solid this year uh, and really should have been three for three in the game, if not for a penalty by Quentin Williams. But he just, quite frankly, you know, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better term, he, just, he, he got tight and he pulled the kick. And so a lot of people thought, you know, it was over at that point. And then you see uh, the Alabama defense, Terrell Lewis gets the huge sack, forces a long field goal. Got to give Blankenship a lot of credit. And I wasn't shocked he made it because I saw the one in the Rose Bowl. But and then Tua takes the sack. But he, what's so amazing about that? Coach Saban was having an aneurysm on the sidelines. But Tua had already gone to the next play, and already recognized the coverage. And it gave me chills, uh, William, to listen to Tua 
describe the play in the post game afterward. He already knew what defense they were in, and then you know he gave the hand signal to Devonta Smith, and Smithy just says, "I got you, bro. Throw the ball." And he threw the ball. I mean, he couldn't have thrown it any better. And I'm not going to lie. You talking about losing it when uh, Devonta Smith caught the football. First, I went into shock, and then I basically just, I just, I lost it. I couldn't believe it. I, I emotionally, I was just. I could not – because, I mean, I, I've always thought the kid was special, but then to do that in that kind of situation, uh, the biggest he'll ever be in and to be 18 years old and, and be that special, I mean, it was unreal. And then we've also got to mention this, and I'm going to bring Thomas into the conversation uh, after making this point, but Jalen Hurst couldn't have handled it any better. i got to give him a salute. I mean, he was right next to Dable the whole time. He was always the first one out there to uh, greet Tua and congratulate him. And, you know, I kind of agree with Mike Johnson and some other compatriots that I, I wish Tom Rinaldi and them would kind of let Jalen chill a little bit and maybe get back to the locker room before shoving a microphone in his face. But, you know, he really handled it well. And, you know, I, I, I do think from this point forward it's to his job. But I, I got to give Jalen a lot of credit uh, for being a leader. And, for and of course, he's done a lot of great things in two years. And, uh, and him supporting, too, uh, I'm sure helped him during that game. Well, before Thomas jumps in, I want to say a couple things because you, you brought up a great point. And, and the first one being, let's don't just end it in the point with how Jalen supported Tua. Let, let's talk about the tweet that Tua put out yesterday. Yes. Um, kind of uh, putting, you know, at times – uh, one of the most uh, vitriol and, and worst fan bases in college football, uh, the Alabama nation, with the way they, they jump down players' throats when they struggle. You know, I thought what Tua did um, was just as big and just as gracious as, as, as Jalen's support. And I'm going to say something else, because um, I've been, you know, for the last two years, one of the biggest Jalen Hurts apologists there are. Um you know, Drew, maybe it's just me, but early on in the third quarter, when they would pan over to the sideline, I kind of got the impression that, that Jalen looked relieved to be standing over there with Nick. Um, and he looked relaxed. He was smiling. Interesting um, point. And, you know, this is coming from somebody that lost their starting position after 21 starts, just like Jalen Hurts did. Um, you never would have you know, panned over there and seen me smiling um, after it happened. And th this is something else that bothered me, and I think it's a, a, a pretty, um, you know, bad take on where we're at as a society. And I freely admit, you know, I'm not a, a, a overly religious person. This is coming from somebody that's the son of a Presbyterian minister. But I've seen so many comments about from Alabama fans, not opposing fans, Alabama fans that took offense to you know Tua uh, thanking his Lord and Savior in that post game interview, and I'm I'm just like you know here here's a kid, both kids, you know Jalen and Tua are both you know very spiritual people, and he's 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 setting the right example, um, you know saying you know positive things about. You know his performance, his teammates, and, and you know people want to want to tear that down and make it out to be something that's a negative. Now, listen, what was a negative was that idiot Makai Brown and the way he conducted himself. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, there was nothing negative Monday night about Jalen Hurts or Tua Tagliavoa, how they performed or conducted themselves. And, you know, that's why I just think, you know, in a perfect world, and, you know, I've, I've heard one interview after another, um, and I'll be a little bit surprised if he stays because I think Lane Kiffin um, was at the team hotel versus, the, you know, the, uh, the, in the Clemson game. He was there for one person, and I've heard multiple interviews where I'm convinced that he wants Jalen Hurts to transfer and come play for him. But, you know, it, it would be my hope, and I know it's an uphill battle for Nick to try and convince Jalen and his dad um, to stay and see this thing out. You know, I still think there could be a package, just like we talked about after the Tennessee game, Drew, um, where, where both of those guys could cause problems for opposing defenses. Um, and, and I still think that, you know, if, if Jalen and his dad would let Nick be honest with them, you know, if he wants an opportunity to play at the next level, it's not going to be a quarterback. Um, Agree. You know, get, get, some, get some packages for him. You know, let him play a little H-back, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, what Braxton Miller's doing in the NFL. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now if Jalen just wants to, you know, ride off into the sunset and, and finish up his career, you know, at a lesser program than Alabama or the SEC, then, you know, hey, I'm, I'm all for that, and, and I'll watch every game that he plays. But, you know, this, this is so much bigger, um, I think, and I'm not trying to take any time away from Thomas, and I'll shut up in just a second, but, you know, that, that chemistry that, that's there between Tua – and hurts you know if we would all conduct ourselves as adults in the real world on a daily basis the way that those two guys support each other every day in practice and on saturday uh in the fall the world would be a much better place it certainly would no doubt about that uh and uh, before we bring thomas into the conversation uh, I also think uh, that uh, Jalen's future would be uh, best suited at H-back. I was just asked that today. H-back Wildcat. You could still use him in some Wildcat formations. And I think the fan base would love him uh, even more if he stayed. And it would be quite remarkable to watch him catch passes from uh, to a tongue of Iloa. I know some people have said wide receiver. I just don't think Jalen – has the no. body type to be a wide receiver, and no. he's not a running he back. He doesn't have it to be a running back either. Yeah, he's not a running back. And, and Drew, this is another thing, and then I'll shut up and let Thomas talk. This is another thing that, that I think, starting with, with the Tennessee game, um, that, that just is amazing to me. You know, when you know, when I see the 40 times that are posted, you know, back in spring practice when they did them, you know, look, let's just say that Jalen's a legit 4-5 guy, probably a, probably closer to a 4-6. You know, Tua was timed at a, at a high 4-7, so he's probably a legit 4-8 guy. You know, when I watch Jalen Hurts run, he does not strike me as a guy that runs a 4-5-40. Yeah, he, he's fast once he gets going. And, Agree. Um, but, you know, Tua, you know, you know again – I think the thing that I like about him more so is, and this is why I don't want to see, you know, them go to a strictly uh, pro-style offense. What you saw in the second half 
you know, him running RPOs, zone reads, you know, if, you know, if Nick wants to put a label on it, and you know, a pro-style offense with spread concepts, call it what you want, but the way that Tua ran that offense, the way Dayball called it, is exactly what needs to happen next September, man. I mean, dude, for somebody that's six foot tall and supposedly only runs a four eight forty, that that guy's salty as hell. He'll run your ass over if he gets a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're absolutely right. Sorry to jump into the conversation, guys. I was frantically producing. Oh, go ahead. I, I, and you know, I, I want to echo a lot of the comments that you guys made. You know, it was a, it was a heck of a thing uh, a week ago almost, and uh, I know I was emotionally strung out for about the next two days. My advisor, you know, funny story for me. I walk in the lab. My advisor's like, "Why are you in a haze?" And I'm just like, "Don't worry about it. You're not a football guy." So, <laughs> I've probably watched that last play, you know, 150 times, and. Uh, yeah, Joey Galloway, he didn't understate that. If Tua Tungavailoa can do that, you know, with consistency, because I, I color me one of those people that I think Tua deserves a ton of credit for the second half. But uh, Garrett Gilbert had a great second half against the Alabama Crimson Tide a few years back, and we saw how that turned out. But if Tua keeps executing at that kind of a level. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm overstating this when I say Alabama's functionally unbeatable, because at that point you're talking about in order to beat this team you have to score forty, and uh, the only person to do that in recent memory, Johnny Man. No, Johnny Man. Yeah, Johnny Manziel got to forty-two. Uh, Deshaun Watson got to forty flat one time. He did. He only got to thirty-five the second go around. Nick Marshall got to 44, and that's pretty much it. So One more guy, Tom. Who am I forgetting? Uh, Trevor Knight in Oklahoma? Oh, well, Trevor Knight did it, and so did Chad Kelly and Dan Warner. Okay, yeah. And, and, and also, I, I did miss one more, Cardell Jones and the Ohio State Buckeyes, but that was yep. more Zeke Elliott. But, you know, anyway, be that as it may, the guys I just listed in, in many cases were – Either it took the game of their lives to pull off what they pulled off and all the credit to them for in those cases, or you're talking about guys that are going into the league and tearing it up. So that's a pretty good spot to be in if you're an Alabama fan, assuming this Tua thing continues on on the same trajectory. And, you know, I I have to say that... uh, I'm looking forward to an offense that's able to do that. I, I stumped for Jalen Hurts for a long time, but uh, you and me both. And and honestly, I didn't have a problem with how Saban handled the Sugar Bowl. I thought Jalen Hurts was the better choice for that game, given how it played out. I honestly think if you look at the first half for Jalen. If Andy Papanostas makes that field goal or Quinnen Williams doesn't have that penalty or, you know, I'm doing a lot of oars here, but or if Jalen Hurts is able to hit Calvin Ridley when he beats his guy so bad he jukes him out of his shoes for a touchdown. Or one more play for you, on third and four, they had quarterback power called and Matt Womack missed his block so badly that he didn't even touch his guy, fell down to his knees, and the pulling guard Ross Piercebaker had to take the first level guy 
Well, the pulling guard's supposed to take the second and or the third level guy, depending on how you scheme it, and that blew up the play. If you look at how the blocks that were developing, Jalen Hurts had a chance to convert that, and Alabama keeps on rolling. So it, I stumped for it, and I don't have a problem with any of how it played out. I, I will be interested to see how much Jalen Hurts gets used because the thing about it, looking at the way Tua played that game, he still did make a lot of mistakes. He, he made some fantastic throws, some anticipation throws that you just can't coach. I take none of that away from him. But he also made some mistakes where, you know, we're, it, this is how close we're talking about here, guys. If Dominique Sanders catches that pass cleanly, taking it from Jerry Judy, Tua is just, well, he's got a lot of potential, but he isn't the, the heir apparent. If I, I, I'm in the camp that I think he was throwing to Najee Harris and Calvin Ridley saved that play because Harris was getting absolutely destroyed. And I have no faith in the officials calling that play because it was going to be a scrum. But, it, you know, that's how close this thing is. So, you know, all the credit in the world to Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him continue to develop. But I think it all you also need to realize that it was a pretty close run thing, even though in the end it was fantastic. But, you know, whatever. That's what it takes to win a national championship. And it wasn't just Tua. So there a lot of credit needs to go to the defense. You know, I was I love, if you know me, if you listen to BAM's radio or the Alabama scheme team that I do with Murph Baldwin, I love me some numbers. I love the pro football focus grading system and stuff like that. And I went through the pro football focus grades on Alabama's team and the top 10 graded guys. It was an article that just came across my Twitter feed and Duran Payne graded out at a 96.3 out of a hundred. And just for fans that aren't familiar with the system, it's generally agreed upon that 85 and up is NFL caliber. 96.3 is the highest individual grade I've ever seen in a big game. Now, my my memory is not, you know, it's not it's not a Bible because it opens and shuts like one, and it's not a fly trap because it opens and shuts like one. So it's possible that I missed it. But 96.3 is absolutely ridiculous, and that came from Deron Payne. So I mean it was just it was a tour de force and and thing that's been echoed multiple times that I've seen or what I've listened to. This was not Nick Saban's best team. It was a very young team in a lot of spots, and we've, y'all have already touched on the injuries. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. I, I'm going to remember this season exceptionally fondly. But you know, I just I just wanted to jump in real quick and give my uh, my thoughts in an encapsulated version, if you will, because I don't want to. I, I know you guys have plenty more to talk about. Well, I know well you know, uh, Thomas, ahead, you know, one, one thing. Let me let me let me caution you on one thing because. I, I, there, there's a part of me that likes it and, and it and it looks good and it's shiny and you know we're all attracted to shiny things but one thing I would caution you about the pro football focus grading system is it's real easy to do from a defensive standpoint and and again um, Deron Payne uh, didn't come close Monday night to destroying Georgia's offense. Uh, the same way that he did as a true freshman in 2015. I mean, dude, they couldn't even triple-team him uh, when Alabama beat Georgia over in Athens in 2015. I mean, he wrecked 
what should have been worst-case scenario. You know, again, I understand Mark Rick was the head coach, and, and they had a, a functioning retard, and, and Brian Schottenheimer is their OC, and they had a bad quarterback as well. Uh, but, you know, they couldn't even triple-team Deron Payne in 2015. He, he wrecked a complete drive that should have been um, at least a field goal chip shot, uh, but because they kept getting holding calls on Deron Payne, their offensive line did, you know, he wrecked that, that, that whole drive. But I'll tell you this, the, the one flaw in their grading system for offensive players is the only way that you could really accurately grade offensive players, uh, specifically the offensive line and the quarterback, is if you've got a copy of that particular team's playbook. You know, you don't know on a particular play, um, you know, whether or not the quarterback is audible to a hot route, you know, what the design, you know, run was. Um, that's one thing that I've noticed, and I'm not taking anything away from it, Thomas. I, I, I like it um, in the same fashion that you do. But unless you've actually got that particular team's offensive playbook in front of you, you can't give a plus or a minus to an offensive lineman or a quarterback based on what you're watching on film blindly. Um, that being said, I, I like what they do. Um, you know, I know, I know it's all former coaches and players that are doing it. So they, they, they've got an idea, um, and they can sit there and say, well, you know, this was a plus or a minus here. Um, all that being said, uh, th there's no doubt that Deron Payne wreaked havoc Monday night versus uh, Georgia. But I will say this. Um, I, I do disagree with you a little bit about the way that the fourth quarter was handled from a personnel standpoint against Clemson. You know, and, and this is one of, you know, one of the few weaknesses in Nick Saban's uh, armor. When you're up by three touchdowns uh, going into the fourth quarter, you get your starters, and this is where the you know the NFL mentality comes in. You get your starters off the field. You know the the, the that not taking place against Clemson cost Alabama their best outside linebacker, who could have been a, a game changer against Georgia and Anthony Jennings, um, Terrell Hall. Um, who I think will probably beat out Christian Miller. Um, he, he lost, you know, edge containment a couple of times. I think I saw three or four times that he lost it. Um, but it's because he put he, he took bad angles. Um, the, the difference right now between Terrell Hall and Christian Miller is Terrell Hall is such a quick twitch guy, and for somebody that's only 250 pounds. You can put him out there, and he's going to be successful more times than not. But the, the, the game against Georgia, I think, shed a lot of light for me on the difference in the physicality between, between Terrell Hall and Christian Miller. You know, Terrell Hall can give up three plays um, either in a half or over the course of a game where he loses contain and doesn't set the edge. But he can also go out there and blow up a play, uh, do, do a reverse spin move to the inside, and sack Jake Fromm and make a, a tackle for a loss. Christian Miller was really – and you know, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's still not 100%. But 
but he was a liability um, Monday night versus Georgia. What what I really wanted to see against Clemson, Thomas, was, you know, get all the starters off the field, put Tua in, put Najee Harris in, put Alex Leatherwood, all the true freshman wide receivers in. And I don't care if you throw a pass, but get them some reps on a big stage like that to where the way that game played out Monday night, you don't have to throw them all out there and not have them in a pressure cooker environment. You know, doing it Monday night the way that Tua, Leatherwood, Najee, and the three the three freshman wide receivers did it, it was really no different than what they did in the second half, or excuse me, the fourth quarter uh, versus Tennessee, you know. And I think to me, Thomas, the biggest thing that I saw Monday night was – you know, I don't know if the two of them will ever get on the same page, but Nick Saban is never going to have the same mentality about this stuff that, that me, you, and Drew have. He does not have a gunslinger mentality. And to have that, you have to be willing to let Tua go out there and make that pick six versus Tennessee and then take all the good things that he does after that, which we all saw. And you have to have, let him do it in the national championship game, you know, against Georgia where he does it and he makes those mistakes and they're legit mistakes that you pointed out. But then there's all those explosive plays that erase all that stuff. And I'm still on the fence about, you know, Nick just being able to go along with that because it totally goes against his nature. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see, you know, what happens with the rest of these coaching replacements that he has to make. But, you know, to, to, I mean, I, I mean, I ain't going to lie to you. Uh, since Tuesday morning uh, when I was sucking on my water, my, my Pedialyte water uh, bottle, trying to recover from the damage I did to myself the night before in that roller coaster game that we all watched, is if you watch it, and you watch it, you know, over and over again, um, man, if, if, if the, the offensive line plays out the way I think it is in spring practice and you've got, you know, Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, you know, Tua Tungabailoa, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, Jedrick Wills at right tackle, and Jonah Williams at center, uh, the, the, the offensive numbers that that unit will put up will totally redefine uh, – I mean, it'll look like uh, the, the fun-and-gun offense when uh, – what was uh, the Jerry guy's name that was the coach at Houston in the early 90s? Oh, yeah. yeah the, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, Jerry Glanville. Yeah, that left the tickets for Elvis every week. Yep. It, it will redefine that. Yeah, he, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, I know I've made, I've gone on record as saying I think this team can average 50 points per game next year, and, I, and I'll make an even bolder statement. If uh, Tua Tungvaloa can stay healthy, uh, and that's the key, I think one of the biggest thing is getting that offensive line, as you talked about, William, figured out in spring practice and, and continue to work on the pass protection, then, uh, you know, I think, uh, and, and, I, and you know when I say this, I understand 
and and I revere Joe Namath and Ken Stable. They're both Hall of Famers and transcendent talents. And but Tua Tungavailoa will be up there with those two guys. And because and they played in a different era of football where you didn't throw the football nearly as much. But Tua Tungavailoa can be the greatest ever in Alabama history if they if they continue to develop him and protect him and and surround him with the talent that they are. And and the thing is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. All we saw was the beginning. It's, I'll, I'll quote Nick Saban, this is not the end, this is the beginning. We saw the beginning of a new era of offense at Alabama. Tua Tungavailoa can be transcendent. Uh, I think he can be a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. Uh, you know, and I, you've got those three freshman receivers. I think that his performance juiced the recruiting. I you know, I, there was a lot of uncertainty with this recruiting class, which we'll talk about later in this segment, uh, you know, to finish out. Uh, now I think it's going to finish out very, very strong. I would not be surprised if they added two to three more wide receivers. I mean, who would not want to play with Tua Tungavailoa and the way that he spread the football around in just his one half? And Thomas is right. He did make some mistakes in that half, but he made so many other plays, uh, you know, uh, and he got so many people involved. And he just sparked the entire football team. He has that Tim Tebow-like magnetism uh, because I think he's a very authentic human being, except he's a much better quarterback than Tim Tebow, who was a great player, but, but he, everyone knew he was not going to be a great pro. Tua Tungavailoa can, can be a great pro. And the thing is, and, and, and then there's a lot of dominoes that go with this. Now, uh, you know, Nick Saban, I think, has set up the rest of his tenure you could have seven years of Tungo Vailoa's because I think he will get Talia Tungo Vailoa, who is a right-handed version of his brother. So uh, to me, uh, the, the, the future is limitless for this offense. Uh, it's going to be so balanced. I, he- I hear people talk about, well, they're going to be too pass-happy, this, that. No, it's going to no, be balanced. absolutely not. They're gonna be, you saw the kind of play calling, and you made that point just a few minutes ago. We saw what Coach Dable wanted to do all year with, with what he did in the second half, and that's what they're going to do, and they're going to build on that. And to, and to go on record, uh, I think Coach Dable will be back. Uh, I don't think he's going to go to the NFL. I know he and Nick Saban had some disagreements over how the quarterback situation was handled. But I can tell you this. If Brian Dable stays with Tua Tungavailoa, he will get a head coaching job of his own, uh, either on the college level. He might even be in the mix uh, for some plum jobs in the NFL, either as an offensive coordinator or a head, even a head coach, because I think Tua is going to have that kind of impact. Uh, and it's and I'll be honest with you, a lot of people outside of the New England Patriots didn't know who Brian Dable was until a year ago. They will know who he is without a shadow of a doubt because Alabama is the Darth Vader of college football. But everybody they they're polarizing, but they're going to be the you know unanimous number one team in the country next year. Uh, and you know Brian Dable can really enhance his career by you know continuing to help develop to a tongue of Iloa and. That's why I think he'll make a business decision to stay. From what I understand, his wife likes it in Tuscaloosa and wants to stay. So uh, I think he will. And as you said, though, William, going to have to continue to tweak this coaching staff. Looks like Mike Loxley has gone to Florida State. Uh, but uh, he can be replaced. And I thought, uh, you know, Alabama, the, the Bama Nation has been clamoring for a special teams coach for years. And they may have hired the nation's best one in the Jeff Banks yesterday from uh, Texas A&M, who is a very good recruiter. Helped, uh, you know, control the city of Houston for Kevin Sumlin. And I think it would be a big help in trying to get Big Vernon Jackson to stay in this class. Also, to get Jalen Waddell on board and, uh, you know, and Bobby Brown to stay on board. Though I think Tosh Lupoy has done a great job with that. And plus, as you've pointed out, 
He is the lead recruiter for California defensive back Isaac Taylor Stewart, who I believe had USC, Alabama, and Texas A&M as his top three and has yet to visit Alabama. So I think uh, this is this uh, two as a ascent has really juiced this program. It's very exciting, and you made that point earlier. And I just think overall this is going to be the best offense we've ever seen at Alabama, and I think he can be the greatest ever. Just has to stay healthy. A lot of that is going to be, you know, uh, you know, having uh, you know some good luck in that regard. Hopefully, Nick Saban's, you know, uh, a track record with quarterbacks is going to continue. They've had a rem- remarkable, you know, uh, level of health uh, while he's been at Alabama, and and Tua can be that special guy. He just he just has that it factor. And even Jalen Hurts, his teammate, said it himself. And you know, and I hope I want to go on record as saying this too. I hope that Jalen Hurts stays at Alabama. I hope he changes positions. I hope he becomes an H-back Wildcat. But in my opinion, I think he probably still wants to play QB because he's done it his whole life. And if he does transfer to another institution, whether it be Power 5 or Florida Atlantic or wherever, uh, I think you should tip your hat to him and continue to support him. And I hope he does well. But selfishly, I'd like him to stay because I think he can continue to help this program uh, and continue to be a leader and and can be a weapon. And as you said, William, can go on to the National Football League, as Braxton Miller realized. He realized he wasn't going to be a quarterback on the next level, and he's still in the NFL to this day. And maybe Jalen Hurst will do that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how spring practice all kind of uh, you know plays itself out. And I, I agree with you on the offensive line. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see if it's going to be Jonah Williams at center. Could it be Jedrick Wills? But I don't think there's any doubt that the, those three guys, Jonah Williams, Jedrick Wills, and Leatherwood, need to be three of your first five. And then I'm going to be interested to see if Matt Womack can slide inside the guard and maybe even unseat someone like Lester Cotton, who was playing very well before he got injured. Well, you know, Drew, going back to the uh, the hire of, of the Banks guy from Texas A&M, you know, th- this, is, this is two things that I know to be true. Um, you know, the state of Mississippi and the state of Louisiana for the 2019 recruiting cycle has both, – both states have uh, once-in-a-generation talent levels in, in both states. And so, you know, when, when somebody tells me – because I'd never heard of this guy until probably lunchtime yesterday when it started leaking out. And, you know, I started digging and – you know, he's got the great relationships in Houston. Well, if he's got those great relationships in Houston, uh, you know, the, 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 border, the border of the, the next state to the east of them, Louisiana, is only, you know, 90 miles away. So this guy's got relationships in Louisiana as well. Um, they've already brought Pete Golden, uh, you know, on. who He's got great relationships in the state of Mississippi and the state of Louisiana to go along with, you know, the relationships that we all are real familiar with with Burton Burns. Um, so, you know, that's where that's why I'm not that worried about the departure of Mike Loxley. Um, you know, he's got great relationships up the eastern seaboard, but that's one of the reasons why I was never uh, totally bought in on Chris Partridge, uh, you know, coming from Michigan. I mean, look, I've seen this play out a hundred times, you know, for, for the last 30 years. And, you know, I, I just was never a big, you know, fan of, of Partridge coming into the program. 
uh, because I, I know how he got to where he is. It's kind of the same way that Gus Malzahn got to be where he's at. And, you know, Tosh LePoy can go up the eastern seaboard and, and get whoever you want. He's proven that over and over again. But, you know, the, the, the states of, of Mississippi and Louisiana is where, you know, the concentration needs to be for the next recruiting cycle. And I think, you know, Nick's done a great job of getting both Golden and, and now Banks, you know, in, in the fray. And, you know, there, there's a defensive tackle at the same high school that Devonta Smith came from um, that's probably the number one defensive tackle in the country. Um, you know, my hope is that, you know, with, with Sam Petito's, you know, connections down there and, and Golding and Banks, they can pull that off. But, you know, it, it all goes back to, you know, the same thing that Bobby Bowden said, you know, in 1987. You know, it's not about the X's and O's. It's all about the Jimmys and the Joes. And as long as Nick Saban is the head coach at Alabama, they're going to get the majority of the good Jimmys and Joes from wherever they go. And, um, you, know, I, you know, Drew, I think, you know, listen, I live as a crow flies uh, five miles from Thompson High School where, where Tua's younger brother is. And I can promise you, as God is my witness, he's just as good right now as his brother. And you've already touched on, you know, the era of Alabama football um, that, that could be the, the, the you know, the tongue of Iloa era of Alabama football. Um, it, it's, it's right there for the taking. You know, I hope it all works out. You know, I think that, you know, now that the dad has accepted a job in Birmingham, um, that that's going to pro, uh, provide that family with some stability. Um, but, you know, it's not just the quarterback. You know, it's, you know, you've got three first-round draft picks at wide receiver. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got Alex Leatherwood, Jonah Williams, and Jedrick Wills that are all first-round draft man, picks man. at offensive line. So you know, you've got, you know, a running back I'm depth chart that, here's you know, consists of Damian Harris, Josh like. Jacobs, Najee Harris, Brian Robinson. I mean, there isn't a program in the country that wouldn't take those three offensive linemen, those three wide receivers, uh, those three running backs, and Tua Tungabaloa as their starting quarterback. I mean, it's It's ridiculous. It is, and I got to ask you about Sam Petito. Uh, I know he's closely linked with Jeremy Pruitt, but as far as I know, he has not gone with Jeremy to Tennessee, and he's still on staff at Alabama. Is that they correct? Lied. Correct. They lied. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that. I mean, I've seen the the staff that Jeremy is putting together. The only uh, opening that I saw that he still had was wide receivers, uh, and I wondered. But now Alabama has that opening with uh, you know Mike Loxley uh, come. Uh, you know, uh, moving on, uh, could we see – do you think there's a chance Petito could be elevated to Alabama or is he going to stay in an off-the-field capacity? I, I think with that wide receiver spot, you know, certainly Petito could do it based on his track record. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the, the move of Chris Winkie to Knoxville fell through um, I've, I've been told that, that Chris Winkie is going to get some consideration for the wide receiver spot. Um, you know, it could. And Jeremy's done a great job of putting together a, a wonderful, you know, 
coaching staff and you know really good recruiters. I think you know sitting back and watching him and Kirby uh, trade salvos, you know, for the next couple of years is going to be one of the most interesting things in college football because neither program can flourish unless they get the best players out of the state of Georgia. Um, but you know, I, I just, I've, you know, I've gotten to the point to where I just don't question, uh, you know, Nick's moves with coaches, you know, and I think he's really making an effort. You know, he knows what's down there in Mississippi and Louisiana, um, for, for the next recruiting cycle. And he's going to, you know, get guys that can leverage their relationships, um, to get those guys, you know, the Banks guy from Texas A&M, you know, aside from being, you know, maybe a poor man's, you know, Shane Beamer. Um, if, if you can control the recruiting in the city of Houston, like Banks has for A&M for several years, you can slide right over the state line to the to the east, and you've got a ton of relationships in the, the state of Louisiana. Yes, you do, and Pete Golding does as well. He's from Hammond, Louisiana, and uh, yep. and and if you look at him and if you watch the Atlanta Falcons this weekend in the playoffs, Ronnie B- Buford, uh, it, the the starting corner for the Falcons, number twenty three, was tutored by Pete Golding at Southeastern Louisiana. So Pete Golding has put guys in the NFL. I'm excited about him. I think he's going to be the co DC with Tosh Lupoy. Uh Very excited about that. And I and quite frankly. I wondered what was going on with Winky. I knew, you know, he had gone to Knoxville and then and talked to Jeremy. He'd gone to Tallahassee to talk uh, to Willie Taggart. I would be excited about him at wide receivers coach. I think he'd do a great job. He's another set of eyes that understands the dynamic between quarterback and wide receiver, winning a Heisman Trophy at Florida State. Uh, and, of course, the, he has a, a lot of ties to IMG Academy, being the former head coach there. Going to be interesting to see if that is where it stands, because we have not heard. I, as far as I know, I guess Winky is still employed by the University of Alabama. And then we've also heard about Dan Werner. If Brian Dable were to go back to the NFL, I think Dan Werner would be on the short list there. Werner, now the, uh, the quarterback's coach for Will Muschamp, who just got a new contract worth $4.2 million today. Uh, but I'm sure Werner would come back to be OC QB coach at Alabama. But we'll see. I think Brian Dable is going to stay put. But William... This recruiting class, I, we were talking about it. I think it's going to finish strong. Uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what Jalen Waddle does now because he was having severe second thoughts about Alabama and leaning to A&M before the uh, national championship game. Now you've got Jalen Waddle out there. You've got Justin Ross who will be in town next week. And next week will be their big recruiting weekend. Malik Langham, who just got offered by Miami, added another big offer to his list, is coming. From what I understand, he's leaning heavily to Alabama and committed to Alabama's coaching staff this week privately. I would expect Malik Langham in the class. Tyler Friday, I thought it was interesting, William. Uh, a lot of the word was Ohio State, and he was going to release a commitment video this week. He's put it off for a few weeks. So Alabama's still involved with him as well. Uh, and so, and, and then it looks like uh, we, we may know the future of Jalen Hurts if Alabama takes a quarterback in these next three weeks. Yeah, you know, I mean uh... – you know, look, this ain't no secret anymore. Langham committed to the staff uh, Wednesday night. Right. Um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a coup for the Alabama staff to, you know, talk Tyler Friday out of making his public commitment to Ohio State today. But but I still think they're they're probably in the driver's seat there now. 
you know, maybe, you know, once Tosh goes up there and, and gets a hold of him, maybe that changes. But, you know, Tyler Friday, you know, and I, I group Tyler Friday into the same, you know, level that I do Jalen Waddle. Unfortunately, both of those guys took their official visits um, in the month of November to Alabama. Um, I, I don't know. I know, I know Waddle even, you know, Nick Saban burned his end home with Waddle. Uh, I think sometime around Thanksgiving, I don't know if he's done the same thing with Tyler Friday, but, um, you know, I never count Tosh Lapoy out with any recruit. Um, but regardless of how it all shakes out, you know, well, what really I think the, the priority should be going forward, especially with, you know, you know and this is another thing that, you know, kind of gets stuck you know, in my craw, is, you know, Alabama fans are so focused on, getting that number one recruiting class on an annual basis. And, and truth be told, if you've got just an average player development program, and what I mean by that is, you know, a good strength and conditioning coach with a head coach that puts an emphasis on that and all the assistants follow in line, as long as you're recruiting in the top ten on an annual basis, and this is how it played out uh, this past year, um, take Alabama out of the equation, Oklahoma, you know, who made the college football playoffs, didn't have a top five recruiting class for the last four years, zero. Uh, Georgia had one. Clemson had one. So as long as you're in the top ten, if you've got an elite player development program, you're doing okay as far as recruiting is concerned. Um you know, I would love to see Alabama, you know, get Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, I, I'm not as big a fan as some people are um, about Ross. Um, mm-hmm. If we get him, we get him. I really don't care. Um, you know, and, and again, um, that, that, I think that's one thing that Alabama fans have gotten so consumed with this fall is, you know, oh, my God, you know, this is the first year we're not going to have the number one recruiting class. Well, number one, this ain't the best year to sign elite players. Uh, Nick Saban's not a huge fan of the overall talent level out there. Um, And, you know, if you do, it's, you know, the the emphasis needed to be on a a needs basis, uh, defensive linemen and, and DBs. And I think they've done a really good job so far. You know, getting Bobby Brown and Christian Barrymore on board was huge. Um, they've got three guys that they feel like at the DB position in Savion Smith, Jalen Armour Davis, and Josh Job um, that can that can help them next year early and often. Um, you know, maybe getting you know. Corey Raymond, you know, would have reeled in Patrick Sertain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Tyson Campbell's going to Georgia. Uh, but they've got three guys that they feel like can help out next year. Um, you know, and I, you know, I'm going into spring practice, Drew, thinking that Trevon Diggs is going to be one corner. Um, Deontay Thompson's going to be one safety. Xavier Smith's going to be the other. You mean and, McKinney. You know, then you've got – I mean, yeah, 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 you're right. And, uh, you know, then you've got that, you know, that kind of position over there on the other side that's open. Um, But, you know, 
I think Alabama's done a really good job with this recruiting class meeting their needs on the field. Oh, and I think that's the biggest thing. And uh, I think, you know, they're going to go after Sertain and Campbell. They're both going to be very tough, but they found uh, what could be another Eddie Jackson-type diamond in the rough and Eddie Smith from Salmon, Louisiana. Uh, he's uh, He has a former TCU commitment. He's going to come in for a visit. They'll get a fourth defensive back. Not sure they're going to take five. They could, depending on what happens at linebacker, because they could easily lose Quay Walker. I've got a funny feeling, uh, since he's coming in next weekend for his official visit, that Big Vernon Jackson, they can reel him in. And, and as you said, if Toxley Poy gets on him, uh, I, I don't I don't see Alabama losing uh, Vernon Jackson. Uh, they need at least one linebacker in this class. But, again, it's hey, all going to be – the guy, yes, the, the guy that you just mentioned, Eddie, uh, what is it, Smith. Eddie Smith yes. from yes. Uh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Well, anytime I see Gary Patterson at TCU sign off on the DB, that's a good point. I'm all, about, I'm all about that guy. Yeah, and I haven't watched his tape yet, but I've heard a lot of good things, and and so I'm not worried about defensive back. As you said, they need at least one more. They're going to get another DB, and they've they signed three very good ones, and I think uh, you know overall and. And we'll see if they and – and, of course, they would take either Sertain or Campbell. No brainers there. But uh, we'll just have to see kind of, you know, how their recruitments play out, even though it looks like Sertain, I guess, is going to hide strap his wagon to Ed Ogeron. Uh, I'm not sure I would do that at this point. But he has a lot of family in New Orleans. Tyson Campbell, you know, he may go to Georgia. He's got a lot of family in Atlanta. Miami's still going to be a factor there. The, then, then Alabama will have a chance to throw out, you know, the red carpet for the visit. Uh, but we'll see. I do think uh, Jalen Waddle would be huge, and I'll make a prediction. I thought Diggs did a good job punt returning late in the year, but if Jalen Waddle signs with Alabama, he will be the punt returner at some point next year. He's an electric talent, uh, and I would I, I hope uh, that he I hope they can get him back on campus, maybe for an unofficial uh, to uh, you know to continue to be recruited and uh, to, and to, and, to, and to talk to Tua Tungavailoa and kind of understand you know where things are and get more reassurances uh, of where the offense is going. But we know the coaching staff, they're going to have to make a couple of hires, a wide receivers coach, probably another defensive assistant. We'll see who that is right now. Could be an inside linebackers coach, could be a secondary guy, depending on what they want to do with Pete Golding. Uh, I think Golding can coach either inside backers or secondary, though his background is in the secondary. Uh, But it's going to be very interesting to see. And William, I, I guess as we're closing it down, I've got to ask you about that. You know, we talked about Damian Harris coming back to school, uh, and and but I thought Isaiah Bug coming back was significant as well. Oh my God, man! I mean, uh, Isaiah Bugs had had probably, well, I would say Isaiah Bugs and, and Raekwon Davis both um, to go along with with Deron Payne. If you watch the cutups, um, you know, from the game Monday night against Georgia. Um, you know, there's one play where Isaiah Bugs uh, presses out, you know, the, the six foot seven, 340-pound so-called phenom Ben Cleveland from Georgia. Um, and then you watch uh, uh, Deron Payne slide in there and make the tackle along with Mac Wilson. And, and, you know, you're talking about, you know, what, what, what amazes me is, you know, Drew, if you haven't seen this phenomenon, um, the Georgia fans think that they're on par with, with Nick Saban and Alabama right now as far as a talent level. Now, once they get this 
you know, 2018 recruiting class in place, you know, maybe they catch up. But, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Bugs whipped Ben Cleveland's ass. Uh, Deron Payne, uh, you know, whipped their center's ass. And, and Matt Wilson was right there doing his job every single rep. And, you know, I love watching that stuff. And, you know, in my opinion, um, you know, I hate to say this because he's a goddamn uh, Auburn guy, but Cole Kublik, if, you know, and I'm not a Twitter guy. I don't have a Twitter account. But if you want to see the way college football is supposed to be played, uh, follow uh, Cole Kublik on Twitter. He does the best job of breaking stuff down and putting film cut-ups on his Twitter page that I've ever seen. I agree with that. Uh, he, he really does a, a great job uh, of doing that and, uh, and showing you, especially offensive and defensive line play, uh, and that's his specialty, being a former center at Auburn. And, of course, yourself, we, uh, you being an OG at Alabama, uh, that's uh, right down both of your alleys, and he does a great job with those cut-ups, no doubt about it. But uh, we're going to wrap it up here on this edition of, uh, of uh, BAM's Radio. Uh, it's been a great, uh, you know, uh, hour, uh, a quick one, but uh, just kind of reliving the national championship and talking about the possibilities. Next week, what we'll, what we'll try to do is we'll continue to talk recruiting, but we'll start kind of delving into – uh, maybe going through what could be the starting lineup next year. And I've already had people ask me about the secondary. I still think Savion Smith has got a great chance to be that other corner opposite Trevon Diggs. I agree with William. I think Diggs is going to come into his own. Uh, he just needed a little more seasoning this year and to get a little more confidence. But we'll talk about all that, uh, and we'll continue to talk and break down. We'll be previewing a big recruiting weekend because Alabama is going to have the championship parade next Saturday. Also, some basketball. Uh, I'll briefly talk about a little basketball right now. Alabama going to Red Stick, 7.30 tip-off tomorrow night. Uh, I, would, I covered their game Tuesday. They got a big win at home against South Carolina after the debacle against Georgia, uh, in which they did not play well. Have another chance on the road against Will Wade and LSU, who are coming off a big road win at Arkansas. Not going to be easy for Alabama, but they've made some lineup changes. Going to be interested to see if they can take that on the road and play as well as they did at home against the rebuilding Gamecocks of Frank Martin. But uh, we appreciate everybody for listening to BAMS Radio tonight. Uh, It's a national championship number 17 for the University of Alabama, the preeminent football program in America, the all-time greatest in college football history. And just to tell Kirby Smart, not yet, my friend. Uh, I know they thought they they had Alabama, but not so fast, as Lee Corso would say, as uh, the peckerhead from Athens did not get his national championship. And we'll see if he can get one one of these years. But for now, it's going to have to be go back and listen to those Herschel Walker DVDs because not today. <laughs> Alabama is the preeminent program. And Tua Tungabailoa had a lot to say to that and that freshman class for Alabama. And remember, everybody, these guys are freshmen, so you get at least two more years of these guys before the NFL draft. So it's going to be some exciting times for Nick Saban and the University of Alabama. And it may be why Nick Saban was saying afterwards in the locker room that he was probably the the happiest he's ever been in his career with all this talent. And I can also say, due to from good friend Ryan Fowler, Nick Saban is not complacent. Uh, He had a he uh, he called a staff meeting yesterday and lit up his entire coaching staff and basically dog cussed everyone because he thought he could 
sense some complacency in his staff for being happy about beating Georgia and winning a fifth in nine years. But Nick Saban, and that's why he's going to be the greatest of all time, is never satisfied. But everybody, we appreciate you for listening to BAMS Radio. I want to thank Thomas the Wizard Watts. Great thoughts from him today. Uh, great job producing. I want to thank William Redfish Barger. Thank him for being on with us. And I'm your host, Rudy Arman. Uh, everybody, roll tide, and we'll be coming to you next week with more BAMS Radio.